Hey kids, Mandy here, and I wanted to personally invite you to join me for Cincinnati Song Initiative's first ever Fellowship of the Song, happening May 20th through 25th. In addition to a week full of amazing concerts, song workshops, and classes, I'll be leading some seriously fun study events on heartwarming topics such as murder ballads and exploring death through music and poetry. Should be a great time! (laughs) You can participate as an auditor, whether you come to Cincinnati in person or join remotely from your comfiest couch. And the best part is that all the week's events will be recorded for unlimited viewing through June 26th. So, what are you waiting for? Head to cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash audit to learn more about this groundbreaking new program for song. And I hope to see you in person or online. All right, leave me alone. Nobody talk to me. Okay, shush. <laughs> wow, you sound like you're having some difficulties. I almost just died. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I slipped on papers. I almost went all the way down. Okay. Ah, wait, wait, wait. Inter- you just slipped on papers, like literally <laughs> cartoon status. Like <laughs> my feet went up and I started falling backwards. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, at least you've landed clearly in frame, so we can discuss some Schubert. <laughs> Welcome to Follow the Leader with me, your host, Mandy Madrid Sikich. Welcome back. We've been on a tiny, a wee little break over the summer, and I am stoked slash thrilled slash jazzed out of my mind to be back here with you all chatting about some Schubert. If you are a fan of the podcast, remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And remember, if you like what we are doing on the podcast, tell your friends. And if you don't, then tell your enemies, because as I like to say, any publicity is good publicity. don't even know how to begin to introduce our co-host today. That's how excited I am. (laughs) No, it's not Susan Ewins or Graham Johnson. And no, it's not Franz Schubert himself via seance, though that would be cool. No, it's even better than all of the above. Joining us today is my sister, Kristen Doran. <laughs> I'm, I'm seriously so thrilled to be here. Do you care to share with the listeners your musical inclinations at all? Well, growing up with you, of course, um, obviously that was my introduction into uh, classical music, into really good music. My education followed very similar with yours all the way up until like you started taking it seriously and I was definitely more into like 
boys and <laughs> like having fun. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I my one of my most favorite stories of like the two of us being in piano lessons is okay, so every year in our hometown there was a piano competition, right? And every year we I would participate in it and every fucking year I would get second or third place, okay? And I cared like so much about this competition. So then you know, you started doing the competition because like you, it was just what I did. So I feel like it's kind of what you did because yep. I was the big sister. Exactly. That's the reason I did so many things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember a year before this or a week before this particular competition year, we were riding our bikes out in the yard and you mm-hmm. broke your clavicle going over a bike jump. And I remember it was like so <laughs> dramatic because you like fainted in dad's arms in the garage. That is a symptom of breaking <laughs> your clavicle. It was not being extra. It was medical. <laughs> I remember watching it happen and being like, whoa, this is dramatic. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, you go get taken care of, get fitted with a brace. And we like walk up to the competition the next week. And of course... I get second place and you in your little broken clavicle brace, not really even caring at all what happened. You won first place in your division. (laughs) It's not that I didn't care. I just, I didn't care as much. (laughs) Well, and that's always been my number one problem in life is that like in general, I care about things too much. So. I I know the feeling because like even though I didn't care that much about the piano competition, there are definitely things in my life I care way too much about. And, <laughs> and it just like never works out, right? It just never works oh, out when you care too never, much. Never, never. That's how I gave myself like anxiety induced health issues. Oh, so, like a hundred percent. I am also on that train and I would very much like to get off. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please kick me off the train. I didn't pay. The main reason I'm excited that you're here today. And I know I told you this before, but it's because you're one of the only people that I feel like I can spout <laughs> random syphilis facts to and you'll still, still love me. I'm I'm anxiously looking forward to the syphilis facts. All right. So during season two of Follow the Leader, we've been covering Schubert's Winterreise. And as we begin part two of the cycle today, I really wanted to dive a bit deeper into Schubert's life because I've actually never covered his life in any real depth in the podcast. And a part of his life and sadly his tragic death at a young age means discussing syphilis. I mean... I guess we could do it like the normal person way where we just do a cursory overview. But (laughs) my OCD said, (laughs) oh, no, (laughs) you're learning everything there is to learn about syphilis. Let's do it. Let's do it because it's no fun any other way. Of course. So we will be cramming as much as I could possibly learn about syphilis into our hour long (laughs) podcast as possible. So we'll talk about his biographical stuff before turning to our music for the day. Oh, let's go. Um, so, sister, do you know anything about Schubert? This isn't a test. I'm, I'm just <laughs> genuinely curious, like, what the typical civilian knows about Schubert. And if I think about it, I suppose you aren't even, like, the typical person because you do play piano and thusly have some awareness of his existence. And also, 
I am your sister. And I hmm. haven't stopped shouting random Schubert facts for nigh on seven years now. That's true. <laughs> so that probably also disqualifies you from being the average like person on the street. But I'm just curious, just just taking your Schubert temperature. Well, I know that Schubert is a musician. So that <laughs> is like, I guarantee you, if I asked Brandon, hey, do you know who Franz Schubert is? He'd be like, did he make shoes? I like, I don't Brandon's know. Brandon's your husband, of course. Yes, he is a total jock. So knows <laughs> zero would about. He, would he literally know, like, have no idea who this person Oh, absolutely none. Honestly, that's fascinating to me because I literally cannot conceive of a world where I, I wouldn't, I just, I wouldn't even know that name. That's so, that's so foreign to me. <laughs> I was actually just telling mom this the other day because I was listening to the first one, the one of Guten Nacht. Right. The first episode of season two. Yes. I apologize for my German pronunciation. It is real bad. Oh, have you um, ever heard <clears throat> Brian try to speak any of these German things? No, but now I'm, <laughs> now my curiosity has peaked. Um, uh, granted, I don't know very much about Schubert. I know he was a musician. I know you actually spell his name with a C. Um, and there was a painting done of him where he looked like a little cherub. Okay, great. I'm so glad I asked because now I know <laughs> that I can literally dump all of this upon you and it will be new information. So I'm so yes. excited. Okay. Franz Schubert. Oh my God. I feel like I'm just like reading like my most exciting <laughs> book report. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Oh, I'm like reports. pull it together, man. Here we go. <laughs> Franz Schubert was born on the 31st of January, 1797. His father was a school teacher and the family was not well off. They lived in very cramped quarters and in a not so good part of town. The town, of course, being Vienna. Uh, little Franz was taught violin by his father and early piano lessons by his older brother, Ignaz. Fun fact, Ignaz suffered from a condition that made him hunchback. And that is absolutely unrelated to anything else, but is in <laughs> fact the kind of info you signed up to hear when you agreed to be here today. <laughs> I accept this. I accept you my fate. Like, sometimes when you're reading history, you're like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was one of the things. <laughs> Schubert entered his father's school at the age of six and soon proved to be a very bright student and the top of his class. When they took him to a music teacher outside the family, the teacher, Michael Holzer, had this to say, whenever I tried to teach him something which I thought would be new to him, he always knew it already. I was often left gaping at him in silence. At the age of 11, Schubert was admitted to the Imperial and Royal Seminary. No, Darth Vader was not there. <laughs> I love that. Um, so anyway, he was admitted to the Imperial Royal Seminary, Imperial and Royal Seminary, uh, what, and that's what we call the Stadtkonvikt. Uh, and here's a sad little story. At the audition, he was made fun of for what he was wearing. Oh. Apparently, most of the other auditioners were from far more privileged backgrounds. But remember, Schubert's father was a school teacher slash schoolmaster, and it would have been obvious from what he was wearing that Schubert did not enjoy the same background as the other boys. This is interesting because throughout his life, he eschewed high society and those who played by and followed the rules of that crowd. Like this was a very distinct factor in his life. So I think, you know, like those little things that happen when you're a kid that just like make their mark in your brain? Mm -hmm. I think that that was one of them. I really mm. think the seeds of this dislike were planted when he realized the stark contrast between himself and the other boys, social status wise. 
however, at the audition, he was found to be far ahead of all other applicants, both musically and academically, and was thus granted a position. There, at the Stadtkonvikt, he studied with Salieri. The no Salieri! Way! Yes! yes. I did not know that! Totally! I love it! And also, when I think of Salieri, I always, I think, what's his name? F. Murray Abraham? That is the oh, only face that comes to mind when I think the word That's, Salieri. <laughs> even if Salieri didn't look like that, he looked like that. No other applications at this time. <laughs> Correct. Um, another important figure in Schubert's life was the older student, Josef von Spaun, who took him under his wing. This friendship, with a brief rift during Schubert's 20s, lasted until the composer's death. At the school, Schubert had access and exposure to the best of the best music of the time. Um, and he was already composing regularly, as reported by Spaun, who said he lit up when speaking of and playing music. It seems even from that young age, it was already his thing. Another friend reported that Schubert was a fairly lonesome creature, and on the walks the students would take, he usually walked apart and alone, completely lost in his own thoughts. As he grew and became more confident in his abilities, however, he became more social and jovial. Friends described him as sensitive with a love for humor. He was also kind. Interestingly enough, under the tutelage of Salieri, he actually wrote very few leader, probably because Salieri himself disliked the art form and did not consider it lofty enough. So mm-hmm. I, I found that really fascinating. The thing, the thing that he got the most famous for, his first teacher, like, just wouldn't even teach it to him. Yeah. I, which I think is actually in posterity. I think that's good for us because he really learned it on his own, you know, and mm-hmm. sort of made his way with it. Maybe that's why he was so like so adept at it is because he had learned it. It was all self-motivated learning and it yeah. came from an own intrinsic, his own intrinsic desire rather than being introduced to it. Like it was his own intrinsic yeah, desire. Yeah, I do think that that was probably a part of it. I really do. You know how we find, that happens to a lot of us. Like we'll kind of find that thing when we're young that we just absolutely love. We just kind mm-hmm. of run with it. After Schubert's voice broke and he could no longer sing in the choir, which is actually how he got the position at the school in the first place, he tried to stick around, but was eventually it was eventually decided between him and his father that he would attend teacher training school. But Schubert detested teaching. So this became a main point of contention between him and his father. Schubert was determined to become a composer. But in those days, in order to be married, a man had to prove to the government that he was financially capable and properly employed. So if he was not teaching with an adequate salary, there would be no way for him to show the appropriate means for marriage. I can't even comprehend that. And get this, of course, like the aristocrats and like, you know, the people who are the elite, they, they, of course, didn't need to apply because it mm-hmm. was just assumed. So the, it was the poor people, the people who would have the most challenging time. So, so inequitable in so many ways. <laughs> and honestly, it's a point of particular sadness for us because there was a girl. Her name was Teresa Grobe and the Grobe family was friends with the Schubert family. Teresa was an easy and natural musician with a lovely soprano voice. She was a year younger than Schubert, and he actually composed many of his leader with her voice in mind. She was the first one to sing the famous Gretchen am Spinnrade, 
So Schubert applied for a teacher position with a high enough salary that would qualify him for marriage, but he was unsuccessful. With the prospect of an acceptable income no longer possible, marriage was out of the question. If he had married Teresa, his life may have turned out entirely differently, as we will see. I feel like there could be so much to unpack there. Okay, listen, the sadness is not over yet. Let's continue. One of the notable elements of Schubert's life was his involvement in the Bildungscircle. We've talked about the Bildungscircle briefly on the podcast before. Listeners will remember that it was a group of male friends who were determined to better society through their own self-improvement and education. They met together to regularly discuss a variety of topics, art, music, literature, philosophy. All these were on the table. Some of the older members would set out questions for the younger men to ruminate on and answer in essay format. This sounds amazing. This is a <laughs> yeah, like right? voluntary school. Sign me up. Totally. You and I, we're, oh my God, we're such nerds, okay? Like, what the heck? <laughs> what is wrong with us? <laughs> no, you get to go with like-minded people and talk about all those things. Like, I know, right? Who like, doesn't want that? To the members of this group, self-improvement was synonymous with avoidance of inactivity. This is a very important to us as Schubert music lovers because it meant that while he was involved in this circle, Schubert was exceedingly prolific. From 1814 to 1816, he composed around 360 of his total 1,000 works just in that little two-year time period. Oh, he really was busy. Yeah, he really was. And they would do things like they would um, – work on like poems and translations together. So a lot of the stuff that like he would end up, a lot of the texts that he would end up setting were probably he discovered them as a result of being prompted to as part of this circle. Oh, that's really cool. Leader lovers, we are thankful for the building circle. A major break happened, however, with many of his friends within the group. It seems that one person in particular is to blame for this. A certain friend named Franz Schober. Schubert was a bit older than Schubert and promoted a more hedonistic lifestyle. Most men in the Bildungscircle greatly disliked him and even despised him, but some of the younger members thought he was pretty cool, and also he had a nice place for them to meet, and he had excellent networking connections. And when he first joined the group, also he was very well off, so he was tolerated. But he did things like he would extol the virtues of, like, drinking and idleness, which is literally the exact opposite of what the older members yeah. in the building circle. So I'm not really sure why he wanted to be part of that group. Um, like, I'm sure there was probably another place where he could have gone <laughs> if he was more interested in idleness. Um, but, yeah, there he was. And um, history was forever changed because of it. He and Schubert became very close. Now, it was during this time of close friendship with Schober that many of the composer's friends began to notice a change in Schubert. While he had always been somewhat averse to societal expectations, he became downright rude and was often belligerent and argumentative and also drank himself to the point of embarrassment. He would get so drunk at the homes of people, people that he didn't even know, um, that he would need to be carried into another room. Friends would set up meetings for him to meet people that would help him in his compositional career. And he would just 
not turn up without a word. The fact that he began alienating friends was a huge problem for him. He wanted to make his living as a composer, but during this year, very few of his works were performed because his friends no longer felt the same determination to help get his name out in the public eye the way they had before. Oh, no. Yeah, the only reason really why Schubert's music kind of got out there was because of these friends who would see his genius and they would know, oh, my God, the world has to hear this. And so they would, you know, contact their rich friends and they'd put on like a salon evening and Schubert would come and perform. Um, But during this time, they the friends would do this and then he would not even show up. So how long was this? This hedonistic period of his? Yeah, about a year-ish, maybe a little bit more. Now, this is interesting because I think it was compounded by, by this following fact. The Schubert biographer Elizabeth McKay postulates that Schubert possibly suffered from a condition called Ah, shit. I forgot to look this up. Wait, that's not the condition. (laughs) I also suffer from that condition. I forgot to look up how to say this. (laughs) I know what the condition is. I just, I've only read the word. I've never heard it said, so I'm not sure exactly how to say it. I think it's called, I think I would say this, cyclothemia. Cyclothemia is the condition. Okay, we're just going to go with it. Just... (laughs) don't worry about it cyclothemia is a mild form of manic depression characterized by pronounced changes of mood behavior thinking sleeping and energy levels so this would explain the polarization of emotions and actions that he displayed not only during this year but at for a larger portion of his life. At times he was lively and jovial pleasant and talkative and then others he would turn extremely dark and brooding He'd snap and be prone to rude behavior. Many friends described him as generous of spirit, affectionate, modest, frank and honest, sensitive and fun-loving. And then at other times, his behavior would become entirely unpredictable. He'd display sudden and terrible rage and abusive outbursts. So his reported downturn in behavior could in part be attributed to his condition, but I also think could be uh, attributed to the influence of Schober, who encouraged many of the more licentious behaviors that disgusted his other friends, namely the overindulgent drinking and promiscuous sexual activities. Activities Mm. that would end up sealing his fate. So, do you know anything about syphilis? (laughs) I know that Benjamin Franklin had it. (laughs) Oh, did he? Interesting. Oh. Oh. Oh, it was, oh, gross. Yeah. Oh, oh gross, no. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. We're, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll, we'll talk about, oh, my God. I did not know that. That's really cool. I don't know. Honestly, why does syphilis fascinate me so much? Why do I think it's so interesting? Like, <laughs> I don't time- know, because syphilis affected so many people back in, like, that 1500 to, like, 1850s era. Like, syphilis was just everywhere it really was and i think maybe that's partially why because so many of these composers and artists and other historical figures benjamin franklin being one of them apparently um Mm -hmm. there's so many people who are affected by it i just i find that kind of fascinating also tuberculosis i find fascinating but we'll save that (laughs) for another episode is that is that from the chopin i honestly think chopin had it and i was like in love with chopin i was like oh it's so romantic he's like coughing up blood at the piano but he's still performing 
Why is that romantic? I don't understand. Why am I fucked up? I, I actually think tuberculosis is one of the worst diseases because whenever you apply for a job, you need to show you don't have it. Oh, yeah. And they're so irritating. The tests are so yeah. irritating. Well, because it can infiltrate. Oh, my God. This is not a tuberculosis episode, but I'm just going to say this one little fact and then move on. It can get into any like part of your body. Like you can get con- like tuberculosis. Of course, we we often know it as, um you know, being a lung disease, right, that you get like consumption and it's like in your your lungs but you can actually get tuberculosis like in your flesh like in your yeah isn't that fascinating oh mm-hmm. that's horrifying i'm <laughs> sure you can get it horrifying. in your organs yeah yeah um don't quote me on that because i'm just remembering that like from off the top of my head but that is what i remember all right saving that for another episode <laughs> when we talk about chopin although chopin didn't really write a new leader so maybe we'll never talk about him anyway mm. syphilis syphilis <laughs> Syphilis is a sexually transmitted disease uh, that is just so fascinating. The name comes from a 16th century poem that tells of a shepherd, Syphilis, who offended the god Apollo, I know, right, and was punished with a hideous disease. Oh my gosh, could you imagine? Fortunately, he's not real. Just because you pissed off some random god and are like, there you go, you are, your name is now synonymous with grotesque death. Yeah, yeah. Congrats. Yeah, I'm unlucky for syphilis. So let's get into the science. The bacterium that causes syphilis is called Tryponema pallidum, subspecies pallidum. You know, your favorite one. (laughs) It's a spirochete bacterium, meaning that it's spiral shaped and kind of moves like a corkscrew. Here, I'm going to send you a picture of the bacteria right now. Don't worry, it's not gross. It's fascinating. Oh, that is... I mean, it is fascinating, but it's also a little gross knowing that it can kill you. Yeah. So it's spirochete bacteria, meaning that it's spiral shaped and kind of moves like a corkscrew, right? You can see that from the shape. It literally looks in. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that's how it moves. So what happens is that when the little spirochetes make contact with a mucous membrane, so think places like the mouth, genitals, or also with the skin, the corkscrew kind of wriggles its way in between the gaps in the skin cells. Once it goes through the skin, it goes into the bloodstream. Because it's in your blood, it can now basically travel into any organ in your body. And it causes a lot of inflammation, which is a huge issue for most, if not all, of our organs. So glad I ate lunch right before this. (laughs) Don't worry, it gets so much worse. (laughs) I'm so excited. Here we go. There are three phases that syphilis moves through. The primary stage happens around three weeks after infection. In this stage, an ulcer known as a chancre forms. And the chancre usually forms at the place of infection. So the most typical places are on the genitals, in the mouth, and even in the nose. I listened to this podcast and they said that this used to happen a lot to doctors before they used gloves. So they would like do an examination <gasps> and touch their nose and the little chancre would form inside their nose, right? Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Oh, that's so bad. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm telling you this because you still have to love me. <laughs> I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, this is gross, but it's also fascinating. But like your reactions, I'm realizing are the more normal human reactions. <laughs> Okay, 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 let's keep going. So this chancre is just brimming with these little spirochete bacteria. And here's the thing. 
the shanker doesn't hurt and it doesn't itch. So it's extremely infectious, but you might not always know that you have it, especially if it's somewhere you can't see, for instance, inside the vagina or the anal canal. Okay. So (laughs) I know terrible, terrible stuff. So that's the primary phase. All right. That's the primary phase. I should probably give a, a trigger warning. I probably should have said one at the beginning of the let let this be the trigger warning. If you're feeling triggered, just stop now. (laughs) Like you literally should stop right now. All right. That's the primary phase. If left untreated, 60 to 80% of people will progress on to secondary syphilis, which can present in such a wide variety of ways, leading it to be called the great imitator. Because remember, it can infect your organs. So there are so many places for it to go and ways that it can make you sick that the secondary phase, especially before testing, it was often mistaken for another disease entirely, which could be a problem if you had never seen a shanker and you didn't know that you were exposed to someone with syphilis. So you might all of a sudden be having problems with your liver and not know why. Oh my gosh. And you think you've got like cirrhosis or something like that. Something and it's entirely different. Most commonly, the secondary phase exhibits a rash on the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet, which is a pretty telltale sign because very few diseases manifest specifically on the palms and the soles. Sometimes, this is gross, sometimes the rash can become necrotizing, meaning that your flesh literally just dies. (laughs) You're trapped here now. You can't go anywhere. Oh, my gosh. It can just, like, kill your flesh. Uh Uh-huh. Isn't that terrible? (gasps) An infected person can also experience fever, headache, sore throat, malaise, you know, the typical sick person symptoms as well. It's like how every symptom of COVID is like every symptom of literally everything else you ever get. Literally everything else. After the secondary phase, there's usually a latent period where an infected person has the bacteria in their body, but it isn't actively destroying them. The latent period can last actually a really long time too, even up to like 40 years. It can last a super long time. Sometimes not, it won't last very long at all, but it can last even up to 40 years. You know, it's a little bit like how Lyme's disease is. I mean, Lyme's isn't contagious, yeah. but Lyme's disease is these little spirochetes and you oh, go really? through latent. Yeah. And it, but it attacks your joints. It doesn't like go oh, to your organs and stuff like that. Lyme disease goes to your joints and it will inflame your joints, which is why you're in so much pain. This is how I know that you were the right person to have on here because I'm pretty sure <laughs> no one else would have been able to tell me. <laughs> about another spirochete bacteria disease (laughs) you're welcome just queen of the useful information over here ladies and gentlemen my sister (laughs) thank you after the latent period syphilis then progresses on to the tertiary phase tertiary syphilis usually manifests in one of three categories cardiovascular gamatic and neurological what was the second one? Gamatic. G-U-M-M-A-T-I-C. We'll talk about mm-hmm. it. Don't you worry. The cool. cardiovascular form affects the heart, obviously, and is the most deadly form, actually. The bacteria invade the blood vessels that feed the aorta. The walls of the aorta, aorta become weak and an aortic rupture occurs. Oh, Bad no. news, you will not survive. Oh. So that's the first form of tertiary syphilis. 
The second form of tertiary syphilis is the gametic form. The gametic form invades the skin and the bones and causes horrific lesions and soft tumor-like balls of inflammation that can grow so large that they deform the infected person. Here, I'm going to show you a picture. Wait, wait. I need to ask your permission on this one. <laughs> okay, so this picture, listen, listen, I'm not going to show you a real it's a, it's like a model. So it's like a bust okay. with these things sculpted onto yes. it. So you're not going to yes. see the real thing. Um, Excellent. I need to see it hypothetically, not in real life because I am far too. Imp- <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what? Okay. Why so- would you mess around with this? Well, this is something that can happen to you. Because I think, you know, you wouldn't... Right. Obviously, like, why would you go to a brothel and all that stuff back then? Because it was just running rampant. But also, that just the sexual drive is so strong, you know? And a lot of times, people would have sexual partners and they wouldn't either know that they had it themselves or they wouldn't tell the other person because of the stigma associated with it. So, Kristen's looking at a picture right now of a model head. Honestly, it looks a, it kind of manifests a little bit like elephant um elephant titus, elephant right? Elephant titus. Yes. Yeah, he's like the the head is that deformed. Um, yes. Also, <laughs> if I could like offer the listeners one piece of advice from everything that we've covered in the last few years of the podcast, like if I could leave you with just one nugget of wisdom, it would be this. Do not look up pictures of syphilis. <laughs> Honestly, um, I no. find it fascinating, but I'm a very macabre person who finds weird, gross things just absolutely the most interesting <laughs> stuff to study. So, That's a good like, word for you. <laughs> I'm not laying awake in bed at night being traumatized by these pictures. Like, I feel sympathy and compassion for the people that have these things, but I'm like, give me more. Like, I just got to see every way that this can manifest. <laughs> But also there are weird things that get me like when we were little and we were learning about ancient Egypt and mummies. I don't know if you remember this. We were eating tostadas while we were watching a documentary about the mummification process. And oh. I, yes, I could not eat tostadas for like 20 years because every because time I thought about them, I thought about mummies. Talking about like how they would, they would shove the, the hook up through yes. the, the nasal membrane, through the nasal cavity and like swish out the round the brains and pull them out yeah yeah that's correct. really funny correct that's and funny. so tostadas were ruined <laughs> they were ruined for 20 like literally two decades i could not eat that food <laughs> but somehow this these pictures didn't bother me so go figure i don't know anyway oh. back to this horror story the third kind of tertiary syphilis you forgot we had a third one <laughs> is neurological and it manifests in a few different ways, the two most common ways being general paresis and tabes dorsalis. In general paresis, the bacteria infect your brain and the spinal cord so that the part that is infected begins to atrophy. So you can expect to have personality changes, dementia, seizures, tremors, muscle atrophy. Oh, my goodness. The most common form of neurosyphilis is tabes dorsalis, which is the degeneration of the posterior part of your spinal cord meaning the back part of your spinal cord. So this ultimately results in a loss of reflexes and coordination. Once this progresses, like you can't walk. Yeah. So so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Schubert had one of these tertiary, ended up having one of these tertiary kinds. So I would 
like to guess, I will take cardiovascular for 200. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what's interesting? So I want you to put a pin in that because we are going to talk about that very shortly. But I'm glad that you're thinking along those lines. We're going to talk about that very shortly. So we'll come back to that. Today, syphilis is easily treatable with penicillin. However, it's seeing a resurgence in recent years. People think it's seeing a resurgence because there's been like a defunding of health education and that kind of thing. I I know this isn't this kind of podcast, Mm -hmm. but you said it's here in America. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That we're seeing this. In 2020, it was there were 133,000 reported cases. Reported cases. Yeah, so it's still out in the world. Yeah. Like when you look up pictures online, like all of these pictures are like mo- they're modern pictures. Oh, geez. Yeah. Jeez. So look, there's like so much more I'd like to talk about a syphilis, but I got to call it a day <laughs> somewhere, right? <laughs> like just somewhere along the line, I got to call it. So this extensive uh, introduction was very appreciated. I think it's important because so many composers had it. Just so, And mm. so when you understand really what was going on with the disease like Schumann for instance Schumann had syphilis and he literally went crazy at the end of his life and he was having hallucinations a lot of this could also have to do with mercury poisoning because that was one of the treatments for it but um, oh my gosh uh, Wolf also he suffered greatly from syphilis um so I think it's important like in this kind of world to know actually how the disease works and what what was going on in these composers heads and mm-hmm. also it's remarkable that they were continuing to compose while also being stricken with this illness. It makes you kind of kind of regretful for like what could have happened were it just were penicillin available back then. Oh my god, I know. Like what more could we have from these amazing minds? Right. right. Had they not if broken Schubert down had, so soon. Yes, if Schubert had continued to live, if if Schumann, if Vol- like, oh, what are we missing? Because this disease took these people from us. Mm. So the whole reason we even got into this is because specifically of Schubert and what we're talking about today. Schubert contracted syphilis most likely at the end of 1822. He suddenly moved back home to be with family and began establishing connections with friends that he had formerly alienated. He also changed the language with which he wrote about his health without explicitly saying why the change in status. At this point, it's really impossible to determine moving forward whether his depressions and dark moods were from his possibly pre-existing mental condition or from new illness. But what is clear is that there is a definite darkening in his mood after this time. Much of Die Schöne Müllerin was composed while in hospital while he was being treated for a bout of infectious secondary syphilis. Something to keep in mind is that many of the treatments then given for syphilis we now know made the patient even sicker, including fasting, purging, and even the use of mercury. Schubert had hoped he would experience a long latent period. Remember that, that, that time period between secondary and tertiary where you can basically be having no symptoms. But this was not the case with Schubert. The tertiary phase began for him after only two or three years of intermittent good health. Mm. So moving forward in his life to when the tertiary phase struck, 1827 began well for Schubert. Throughout the year, he experienced great success with many performances of his music taking place in both Vienna and Graz. By the fall of 1827, however, he was suffering from recurring headaches, which is one of the symptoms of neurosyphilis. Ah. But 
hold on. You might not be wrong. The summer and fall of 1827 are when he wrote the first 12 songs of Winterreise. Listeners will remember that he only discovered the second set of 12 for a total of 24 later and quickly set about putting the new to him texts to music. And here I think it's a good idea to look at Schubert's outlook on life on two levels. So there's the meta overview, right? He knew he was sick. He knew this illness would probably prohibit him from finding love. Doctors would have advised him against marriage. He knew it would kill him. But because of the way syphilis works, he often experienced periods where he was fairly optimistic because he was feeling fine, more or less, content with life where it presently stood. The first half of Winterreise was composed during one of those periods. And again, I think this is fascinating because it shows Schubert living with the polarization of this cognitive dissonance. So he's thinking, I'm happy and content now, even though I know I'm dying. One of the facets we've been discussing throughout the entirety of this Winterreise series is the coexistence of polarities, of paradoxes, paradoxes, paradoxes. Paradoxes. The second set of 12 songs were written during one of his more gloomy periods. And it was a composition of these final 12 that prompted his friend Josef von Spaun to write that a gloom settled over Schubert while he wrote these songs and that it stuck around for a while after their completion. When he first performed the songs for her friends, they were absolutely stunned by the gloom the darkness and the stark power of the songs. He was convinced, though, at their quality and considered the songs to be the best that he had written. He stated that he liked them more than all the rest. Schubert moved in with his brother Ferdinand in September of 1828 on the advice of his doctor. He probably didn't sense that death was so very close at hand. He wouldn't even make it to the end of the year. But he worked with a feverish intensity at composing during September. By October, he was losing his appetite and complained of feeling generally unwell. He went on a three-day walking trip in the country, but when he returned, his condition worsened. His brother reported that there was one point in late October where he threw his knife and fork down, claiming that the fish made him feel sick as though he had been poisoned. It was in 1824, so about four years earlier, that he first became preoccupied with the idea that he was being poisoned. He wasn't wrong. In those days, one of the treatments for syphilis was mercury ointment. So he was quite literally poisoning himself. Oh gosh. Is that terrible? It's, it's, it's like how people like, oh, you have a fever, let's let some of your blood out like oh no. they did that too oh that's that's a bad idea bad idea you need your blood honestly you it's amazing that anyone lived past any of like the quote-unquote medical treatments of the day back then i think that all the time i have this whole like, book how has humanity lasted i have this whole book about it's called something like quackery and it's all the <laughs> the the crazy things that people did that were literally killing themselves like in an effort to be like more beautiful or healthy or more robust or, you know, 
Okay, so in Quackery, did you read about the green dye? Yes, the Victorian yes. green Arsenic. dye? Yes. yes. Like the wallpaper that. and the dresses were literally poisoning mm-hmm. people. Again, you are one of the yes. only people on this planet that would also know that fact. <laughs> <laughs> I actually watched a whole documentary on it. It was fascinating and gruesome. <laughs> I love so it. Gruesome. So just up my alley, right? <laughs> yes. So after the episode where Schubert threw down his cutlery, he hardly ate or drank anything besides medicines. It seems in his immune-weakened state from the syphilis, Schubert contracted a new infection, probably typhoid fever. Dun-dun-dun, the plot thickens. Schubert entered his final illness on October 31st, 1928. He was experiencing a wide variety of factors that likely contributed to his death. So there was the mercury which he was taking to treat the syphilis that could have caused the lack of appetite, which would have in turn caused him to be malnourished, putting him in a bad position to fight off any infection that came his way. Right. He became bedridden on November 11th and never left the house again. According to Josef von Spaun, who visited him in bed, he was mentally very acute and was even Mm. correcting scores. He only said that he felt extremely exhausted, like he was going to fall through the bed. So that points to him not having the full onset of neurosyphilis, right? Because one of the kind of um, branches of neurosyphilis where they experience a decline in mental acuity and all that, but he was mm-hmm. not suffering from that. And he was actually even correcting the proofs of Winterreiser for publication on his deathbed. Oh my gosh. It was literally his last work. It's a strange irony that these should be some of the last works that he handled. He actually wrote things later than Venturizer. So Schwanengesang were actually his true last songs that he wrote. But he was correcting these proofs mm-hmm. that were going to publication on his deathbed. On his deathbed, he also underwent bloodletting, which, as we know, only <sighs> made him worse, not better. So bad. Such bad now, idea. this breaks my heart. In his last letter, he wrote to his friend Schober, who was probably one of the reasons for his sickness in the first place. Stupid guy. I know. He wrote to Schober asking if he could loan him some American adventure books from his library as he wanted to do some light reading while he was unwell. This is why I never finish biographies. Because they always die at the end. They always die, obviously. They always die. On the 17th of November, he was visited by two friends, but that evening he began suffering delusions and had to be restrained. So that could be further neurosyphilis. That could be from the mercury poisoning. That could be from the fever that he was suffering at the time. Probably most likely. Quite literally pick your poison. Exactly. The next day, he didn't even know where he was and tried to escape the room where he was convalescing. Schubert died at 3 a.m. on November 19th, 1828. At the time of his death, he was severely anemic. He might have had a rash from typhoid and possibly lesions on his torso from syphilis. He was suffering from mercury poisoning and cardiovascular disease, as evidenced by rushes of blood to his head and was suffering from headaches, insomnia, and dizziness, symptoms associated with neurological syphilis. It's really impossible to say specifically what killed him. He may have also had a stroke from neurosyphilis or a heart attack from cardiovascular syphilis. 
This is like co, 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 co morbidity. Totally. Like seven things. Here's the thing. There's the additional fact that most of his family remained strangely silent about his death, perhaps in an attempt to cover up a stigmatized end for the esteemed composer of repute. By that time, Schubert was a well-respected musical figure, and the family was doing much better within the societal realm. They may have hidden any evidence or forbidden anyone to speak of, for instance, if he had the telltale signs of syphilitic lesions. Any questions about anything we have covered thus far? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I ask myself that question every day. Why must it be so? It's just like, this is a tragic end. I don't. He was so. He was younger than me. He was younger than me. I remember the day I turned 32 and I was like, well, I've done fucking nothing. Schubert was dead by the time like he didn't make it to 32 look what he did <laughs> anyway so oh weird. my gosh but I, could, I could talk about him into a microphone so that's something hey, I guess and you don't have syphilis so and I don't have syphilis are, that is something you are just like eons ahead so there's, there's alright enough sadness that was everything I wanted to tell you before we get to our song for the day Die Post bringt keinen Brief für dich. Was drängst du denn so wunderlich? So, our song for today is Die Post, song number 13 within the larger cycle, and the first song of part two. Let us turn to a translation of the text. Was drängst du denn so wunderlich? Meine Hand! the post <laughs> i was wondering is this literally about mail correct <laughs> oh my god <laughs> here we go here we go he wrote a whole song on mail well i hate mail let me just, okay i know right the modern day we hate mail but let me just read you this poem and you'll understand <laughs> ahem <clears throat> from the road a post horn sounds What is it that makes you leap so high, my heart? The post brings no letter for you. Why beat you then so strangely, my heart? Now, yes, the post comes out of the town where I had a loved sweetheart, my heart. Do you want to look back once more and ask how it goes there, my heart? Probably not exactly what you were expecting, right? No. I've got to say, part one did not end with him in a good situation. Part one ended and it was dark and heavy. He could hardly pick up his feet. So when the piano introduction begins in Die Post, we feel a sense of relief that it is light and not heavy laden with suffering. Or so we think. I loved that. I felt like I was, I felt like I was on a horse trotting the post down the exactly. road. Exactly. <laughs> Schubert knew what he was doing. 
after what came before in Einsamkeit, we need an outside source to tether us to the world once more. I don't think you listened to the last song, but the last song is just, he's so in his mind and in his emotions. And so this tethering to the world, it really makes sense for us because originally Schubert thought he was done after Einsamkeit, after the last song. With this song, with Die Post, we have these outside sources revitalizing the story and our traveler feels compelled enough to pay attention and listen and compare what's going on in the world around him to what he feels internally. So I know you said you could hear horse carrot, like a horse Mm -hmm. trotting, right? Totally. But we also have the representation of horn music. We can quite clearly hear the horn in the right hand of the piano. I can see the horn now, and it also feels like his fluttering heart. So let's talk about horn calls for a minute. Horn calls or horn music are found in lots of examples of Schubert's music. Um, In Romanticism in general, we're used to hearing the hunting horn, an important trope within Romantic art, literature, and music. It often beckons us from a distance and can evoke feelings of longing, sensuality, magic, masculinity, nostalgia, lots of different shades of those things. Last time we heard a horn call in Winterreise was in Der Lindenbaum, where he was, um, the tree was beckoning for him to end it all. But here, actually, I think what Brian said the tree beckoned was, throw in the towel. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners will remember that iconic nugget of Brian's. <laughs> I'll send you that episode so you can listen to it. It's uh, oh, I'm pretty just gonna, hilarious. I'm just going to go. I've I been listening to it as I've been driving down to school every day. Oh, sick. So I'm just going to cool. start listening to it because I, I love it. Amazing. Gonna- a convert. <laughs> Folks, we have a leader convert. So that was the last time we heard a horn call. But here we have clearly a post horn. So... Hmm. In ye olden days, a horn would have heralded the arrival of a coach that could have carried passengers and the mail. The left hand of the accompaniment sounds like the prancing of the horse pulling the carriage, as you pointed out, or of the wheels turning round. So go ahead and play uh... time code three. Yep. Yeah, totally, right? So Love it. Here's the thing, and as you said earlier, like, I hate the mail. Like, today, yes, because all that comes in the mail is bills and, like, insurance things, and it's just lame. The mail is lame. But (laughs) in those days, the arrival of the coach would have been a cause for great excitement, right? Even if no people came, receiving a letter was a big deal. It took so much effort to write out the letter, to send it across the country, So he hears the post horn and his heart leaps, probably as it has done many times throughout his life. But this time he asks his heart, why are you leaping? For he no longer has connections with anyone who would send him a letter. He addresses his heart directly saying, mine hurts, something he has not done since song number seven, Auf dem Flusser. 
von der Straße her ein Posthorn klingt. Was hat es, dass es so hoch aufspringt, mein Herz? Was hat es, dass es so hoch aufspringt, mein Herz, mein Herz? I love Tyler's voice. So much. Oh, you knew oh it was God. Tyler. Oh, well, I guess he's been seeing the whole time, so you wouldn't know it was him. When he sings out that first and he holds out that first, mine hurts. It's like, oh, I know. Heartbreaking. <laughs> Agonizing. So after this verse and after the mine hurts you just heard, there's a pause. And actually that pause happens twice in the song. And to me, the pauses are almost like he's waiting for his heart to respond or he's waiting for the answer to come from somewhere. Um, so let me, I'll, I'll back this up a little bit so you can hear what that sounds like with the pause and then the subsequent next verse. Was hat es, dass es so hoch aufspringt? Mein Herz, mein Herz. That was crazy. It was almost like he didn't get the answer he wanted, so he just like shifted. Totally. I don't know. Right? Right. As no answer comes, he continues and almost has to explain to his heart that there is no reason for the excitement. There will be no letter for him. And we can hear that change not only because it dips into minor, which automatically we feel, oh, we feel that kind of pull at our hearts, right? But as Graham Johnson says, it changes from what he observes around him. You know, in the first verse, we're talking about the carriage and the, the horse and the post horn. And it changes to that which is inward. And he contemplates his inner thoughts. Die Post bringt keinen Brief für dich. Was drängst du denn so wunderlich? Mein Herz, mein Herz. Die Post bringt keinen Brief für dich. Mein Herz, mein Herz. Was drängst du denn so wunderlich? Mein Herz, mein Herz. that I love that analysis of like what you observe on the outside you know everyone's there they're seeing this post they're seeing this um they're seeing this carriage roll and everyone's like whoo whoo did I get mail did I get mail um and and this guy is there and he's part of the throng and you see him but you just don't know what's underneath you don't know the story inside from an outside observation. Totally. Totally. And and that's been a theme throughout this whole cycle. Like, And it's kind of a theme of romanticism in general where you look out and you see what's out there and usually it reflects what you're feeling inside. But here it's like the inverse of that. Like he's dealing with um, 
and as we've talked about through the whole cycle is kind of he he's experiencing the the opposite like people are excited for their mail and you can hear it in the music but mm-hmm. there's there's no mail for him he's alone so in that in that last little sample you heard him get stuck in his contemplation momentarily right but then was brought mm-hmm. back to the real world mm-hmm. with the call of the post horn again and i do find this little point in the story interesting because throughout the story he's been going further and further into isolation and i always kind of feel like at this point he's just like passing by there happens to be a small town that Mm. just so happens to have the mail coming in and it's not like he's been seeking out society or civilization he's just kind of passing by and this just he happens upon this and 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 as the third verse begins i think this is just so cruel honestly it's like one of those cosmic jokes like what are the chances (laughs) This post carriage has literally come from the very town where his sweetheart lived. It's just like a fuck you in particular that the universe (laughs) likes to throw out there every now and again. That he happens to be there at that specific time, you know. Not only do you get to see everybody else being hopeful about their mail, but it's gonna come from the place where your girl dumped you. Exactly. And it's just so crazy because he checks in with his heart. He checks in and he say, he says, like, I expect you you want to go over and look and, and ask how things are there. To me, this suggests a continuation of this disturbing bifurcation of his self. He seems to know what his heart might expect, but is not so in touch with it. He feels the need to ask it. It kind of reminds me of the moment in Gefrona Trenin, the third song of the cycle. It's where his body betrays him. It cries without him realizing it until he sees the drops fall on the snow. And in this song, in Die Post, I think we hear his heart betray him. You know, rationally in his head, he knows his lot in life is to be alone. But his heart maybe hopes for something else. By leaping at the sound of the horn, it hints that he still has hope that he might be part of this world. And in that we see, oh, perhaps he hasn't settled as comfortably into the isolation mm-hmm. as he might have been leading us to believe. I, I can totally see how you just adore this series because there's so much, there's so many layers. And I think especially in this world where we're becoming so like our current world, the modern world Mm -hmm. where we're becoming, we're we're able to become so like in tune with our bodies because of things like we know through science and through medical research and things like that. But for all of our knowledge, there are things that happen still deep within us that just take us completely by surprise. Absolutely. And trauma or triggers that you think have long been stored away, long, you, you've dealt with them, you're like, that doesn't bother me anymore. But then something random, like seeing the mail carriage, just makes you realize you are still not in control of or where you thought you were. A hundred percent. I I think that's a really good take on that here. A hundred percent. I think, you know, honestly, there have been a lot of points in this cycle that I think are surprising either to him or to us. 
And I do. I love thinking about I love thinking about all those different layers and like, how did this happen and how we come to be? How did we come to be here? And what does that mean for the future? And yeah, it just it it's it's good. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> uh, Great stuff. Musically speaking, the third and fourth verses, so we had just gone over the first two, the third and fourth verses are exact repeats of verses one and two, though written out in through composed form. The ending is a short little thing, just two quick chords, as if he doesn't want to spend any more time (laughs) dwelling on the fact that he is so alone and no one thinks of him enough to write him. But I'm going to save that for our full listen. And actually, I thought I would mention this is the last reference specifically to his sweetheart in the entire work, unless you count in song number 23, Die Nebensonnen. Um, but that really refers to like her eyes. He talks about like three suns setting. Um, and I think that that's mm. referring to her eyes and he doesn't specifically mention his sweetheart. So listeners, you'll see when we get there. Um, do you have any questions before we take a listen? Nope, I'm loving this. Von der Straße her ein Posthorn klingt. Was hat es, dass es so hoch aufspringt, mein Es, dass es so hoch aufspringt, mein Herz, mein Herz. Die Post bringt keinen Brief für dich, was drängst du denn so wunderlich, mein Herz, mein Herz. Bringt keinen Brief für dich, mein Herz, mein Herz. Was ringst du denn so wunderlich, mein Herz, mein Herz? Nun ja, die Post kommt aus der Stadt. You know, when you said that at the two chords, 
like he's just like he wanted to be done with it I expected them to be a little bit more angry like oh I'm just done it's more like better not dwell it's it's more like that to me I agree agree to agree (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny because it's almost like a wave of the hand like uh, he's just kind of like shaking it off and he carries on his way and it's really cool because the next song is so different that kind of the the discrepancy of like moods between the two. I don't I we I just always feel like at this point in the cycle the rug almost gets kind of like shifted under like someone's kind of playing with it a little bit. Um mm. and we're not like really sure what's going to come next because yeah, I kind of would expect something different from the post ending and then I definitely don't expect what comes next and the post in general is just kind of strange considering what came before. Um but Actually, there, there's this thing that we talk about in Schubert where, well, I think it was in that episode that you listened to, often the major can be even sadder than the minor. Like it can feel more tragic. Yes. There's something about the juxtaposition of the like happiness of the key with the tragedy of the words. Yeah. Yes. I agree. I completely agreed with that. That was one of those analysis things that you did that like gave me goosebumps. I was like, oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be fair, I'm not the first person who's ever thought that thought like it's it's a thought that's kind of out there that's kind of generally among Schubert lovers is generally known. But I'm glad that I was the the messenger to deliver that to you shall forever be your deep insight to me. (laughs) All right. Well, if there isn't anything else, I think I'll go ahead and wrap things up with this little final bit. Yeah, no, I have. I have no questions. It was just, it was so awesome to, to be able to do this. I had, this is so much fun. I had Honestly, so much fun with this. I'm so glad you had fun. I'm glad you weren't like, number one, traumatized by syphilis. Number two, <laughs> bored out of your mind. And number three, just thinking I'm a weirdo. So. No. Well, I've always well, thought you were weird. I but guess like, <laughs> that is the truth. But like a cool weird, like I want to be weird too. <laughs> You know, yes. not kind of weird, but yes. no, I love this. <laughs> Fantastic. It's a contagious weird. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being here today. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you just can't get enough Vintoriza in your life, then you might want to try singing Die Post with me. You can find me on YouTube as Mandy Madrid Sikic. Click on the Vintoriza playlist and start singing. Remember that Follow the Leader can be found in all the usual podcasty places. And please, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It's honestly the best way you can support the podcast. Follow the Leader is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org forward slash podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at leadernerd. That's at L-I-E-D-E-R-N-E-R-D. See you later, nerds! Willst wohl einmal hinübersehen und fragen, wie es dort mag gehen? Mein Herz, mein Herz. Willst wohl einmal hinübersehen, mein Herz, mein Herz. Und fragen, wie Click on the video. Yeah, hang on. I'm going to open the actual page. Okay. Oh, my gosh. No, I do not want a limited time offer. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you don't?
<laughs> not for 30 days free music. I already pay three different streaming services for free music. Listen, I could give you 30 days of free music. <laughs> if you love this podcast, then you'll love the Song Cycle podcast, also by Cincinnati Song Initiative. Song Cycle introduces the coolest and awesomest leaders of the song world today and dives into getting to know them and their unique stories, where they think song in the 21st century is headed, and lots of other great topics. If you're looking for your next source of inspiration as you continue on your own musical journey as a song lover, look no further than Song Cycle with me, your host, Sam Martin. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation.